Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 11. Thank you, Nathan, for, uh, for uh, reading the first half of that text for us. And we hope everybody's excited to hear Nathan preach the second half of the sermon as well. And so, uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, open up to page 1237, the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word. But we are looking this morning at the whole, the entirety of John chapter 11. And it's one of those situations where in this gospel, really, uh, all of this chapter fits together. And it's a long chapter, but uh, it really all needs to be looked at together. It's part of John's argument here, and it's a very important chapter in John's gospel, a transition point, if you will. So if you're open up there to John chapter 11, I'm going to read to you verses 38 down into the end of the chapter. So if you're open there, would you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many, of, many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given order that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Let's pray together. God, open our hearts and our minds this morning, Father. We, we pray 
that you would change us. Let us be changed by your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite poems is a sonnet by the great English poet John Donne. Here the first lines of this great sonnet. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom you think thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. What a bold statement John Donne makes. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. What a bold statement that is, but from the vantage point of your average human being, what a silly statement. That seems to be. As a pastor, I've been down Walnut Street with too many motorcades filled with tear-streaked faces on our way to Forest Cemetery to take a statement like that at face value. I've walked through too many lines at Collier Butler. I've preached too many funerals. I've been at too many bedsides in the twilight of the life of a precious saint. Too many times I've read the 23rd Psalm standing on grass but looking at a hole dug in the ground waiting to receive someone that someone loved I've, I've, I've had too many experience not to take a statement like that and just balk at it just a little bit we can't just simply take it at face value however I also want to make a, an argument this morning that Dunn was right that he was not wrong listen to the, the last line of the poem he says, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. John Donne's poem, his sonnet, expresses one of the core truths of our faith, one of the, one of the foundational things that it means to be a Christian or to hold to Christian theology. And it's this reality that our greatest enemy has been defeated by our greatest friend. Lord Jesus Christ has defeated death. I made a decision years ago, early, early in my ministry when I first began, that I would never get comfortable with death. That so long as death is the enemy of Christ, and certainly it is, we learn in the Scriptures, so long as death is the enemy of Christ, I will never smooth it over or pretend it's okay or act like it's just another part of life but at the same time I, I made a commitment to say that I also won't be a defeatist or fear death or treat it like a lord or king in fact I believe it's essential that we deal with death in precisely the way that Jesus did recognizing what he recognized and rejoicing in what he has done and so this morning I want to give you four truths, four realities about death and how we as Christians ought to deal with it. And each of these points, if you're a non-believer, if you're not a Christian, each of these points maybe could help you make sense of death. It's something we all face and all deal with. Four truths then this morning to help you face death, either your own or the death of a friend or a loved one. Here's the first point this morning. First point is this, God is sovereign over death. God is sovereign 
over death. When Jesus hears of Lazarus' sickness, he does something that is strange to us, doesn't he? And it's strange to those around him. It's strange to those that he encounters in Bethany. Jesus often perplexes us, but here we find a situation where he very much confuses us when he hears about Jesus' death. John says, he loved Lazarus very much, so he waited two days. That's weird, isn't it? If one of you were in a dire medical emergency and you called Beck Georgina in the office... And Beck Eugenia came to my office and they said, Brother Matt, so-and-so's in a dire medical emergency. It doesn't look good. I don't, I don't know. Uh, they've been in a car accident. I don't know if they're going to make it. And I said, okay, today's what? Tuesday? I'll be there Thursday. I wouldn't keep my job very long, would I? Well, of course not. Because we expect a sort of urgency. But here, Jesus, because he loves Lazarus, John says, is waiting. At first glance, it it might even seem that Jesus is being ignorant of how serious the situation is. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Our our Lord says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so it might, at first glance, seem like he's being ignorant, but you and I already know the rest of the story. We've already heard it read this morning. We know what Jesus is planning to do. And so after his intentional delay, Jesus then tells the disciples that they're headed to Judea. And just to be really frank, the disciples don't love this idea. Because they know that in Judea, the Jewish authorities, the leaders, are out to kill Jesus. In fact, I, I, I think that one of my favorite verses in the Bible is here from Thomas. Uh, when Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. I think that Thomas might have had a little bit of sardonic wit right there. I think that might have been just a little bit of gallows humor. Well, I guess we might as well go too and die with him. They're not real happy about the fact that they're going. But Jesus begins to clarify his mission and Verse 11 and in verses 14 and 15. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples don't quite get it. They say, well, Lord, I mean, surely if he's asleep, we can be woken up. But he goes further. He clarifies himself finally. Lazarus has died. And then in verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus then finally goes to to, to Bethany, and, and once he gets there, once he reaches Bethany, once he makes it there, people begin to ask him questions. Mary and some of her friends recognize that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus's death, and so does Martha. They, they mention it multiple times, Lord, you could have kept him from dying. And we know that too, right? Jesus delays, though. He waits. Jesus uses this opportunity to teach his disciples. He says, for your sake, I'm glad that Lazarus dies so that you can see my glory. Here's here's what I want you to know is that God is sovereign over death. Death does not lie outside of the providential plans of God. Do you see the way that Jesus delays, and yet even in the meantime, he remains totally in control, knowing exactly when Lazarus died, knowing exactly what he plans to do. God is sovereign over death. Death is not something that God has no control over. And all of us, each and every one of us in this room, at one point or another, has thought something 
something similar to what Mary and Martha thought. And many of us have prayed this prayer to God, Lord, you could have kept my loved one from dying. It's a simple question that we all ask. From a child whose kitten dies all the way to an adult who loses a spouse or a child, each and every one of us recognize and see God, you could have kept my loved one from dying. However, as we consider death, and in particular our own impending deaths, let us take heart that God wastes nothing. Nothing takes God by surprise. And even the horrible curse of death, it's a direct result of the fall. We live in a Genesis 3 world in which death seems to reign. And even then, even then, God is sovereign. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so God takes that worst possible thing and even then is in control of it and draws his people to himself through it. Even death is used by God for the demonstration of his glory. You've never once walked with someone or yourself. And you never will once walk with someone or by yourself through the valley of the shadow of death where God will not be there with you. He's there. God is sovereign over death. But here's the second point this morning. Death is not natural. Death is not natural. Martha comes to Jesus, and here in a minute we'll look at their discussion, but after Martha and Jesus talk, Martha sends for Mary, and Mary follows soon after and comes to talk to Jesus. And so her and her friends follow her as she goes out, and Mary finds Jesus, and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Notice how the passage goes from here. Jesus does something that surprises us. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And every one of you have this Bible verse memorized. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. What a good verse to memorize, brothers and sisters. Jesus wept. You must bear in mind that Jesus knew that Lazarus had died. And he came here to raise him again. He knows. He he knows that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus knows what he's about to do. And yet when Jesus sees Mary and her friends weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, the scripture says. He was greatly troubled. The Lord of all creation, the one who can undo death, the one who is soon to call, literally call his friend out of the grave, he weeps. He is greatly troubled. And as they go to Lazarus's tomb Jesus begins to cry he wept see God does not expect us to be gospel robots God is sovereign over death God is in control and yet Jesus himself wept 
over death. He was greatly troubled by death. He was deeply moved by death. Jesus is showing us and demonstrating to us that this is not the way that the world should be. Our Lord is identifying with us in our pain and our trouble and grieving. The God of the universe who one day will undo all these wrongs, who can see at the very moment of every moment he's looking, he can see both the end and the beginning for he himself is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows that he created the world. He knows that he will redeem the world. He knows what will happen in heaven when every tear is wiped away. And yet right here in this moment, at this place, standing there with bereaved people, with two women who are missing their brother, with his friend in the tomb, Jesus, knowing all that he knows, cries. He cries. Is it not wonderful to know Is it not beautiful to know that that feeling you had in the cemetery, in the hospital, in the funeral home, at hospice, at the kitchen table drinking your coffee on a random Tuesday morning, months or maybe years later, that feeling you had as you had to sit by and watch the slow march of death in a loved one, as that disease stole their mind or stole their body. In a moment of grief, in a season of despair, that knot, that pain, that desire for life in the midst of death, that grief, that sadness, is it not beautiful? Is it not wonderful to know that right there in that moment, Jesus is with you? Jesus wept. Jesus is there with you. And even now, as the tears well up, as you feel those feelings coming back again, remember, Jesus wept. Jesus knows. He cares. He loves. Death is not the way the world should be. You know it. I know it. Praise be to God, Jesus knows it. And He plans to do something about it. That's our third point this morning. Death will die. Death will die. Earlier in verses 17 through 27, Martha, who often gets a bad rap because of some other stories in the Bible, Martha, though, shows herself to be a woman of great faith and a a woman of great uh, uh, theological astuteness. She expresses to Jesus her wish that he had been there, but Jesus tells her, Lazarus will rise again. She responds to the Lord very, very, very correctly. Martha paid attention in Sunday school. I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Martha attends training you. You know, she, she is on top of it. But Jesus' response is this. She says, I know that he will rise on the last day. But Jesus says, I am I am. Another I am statement here in John. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus declares to her that belief in him results in eternal life. And Martha believes him. And then Jesus proves this truth later in the, ver- in the verses 38 through 44. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus proves this truth. What does he do? He, he goes up to the tomb and he tells him to roll the stone away. Martha wisely says, Lord, there's going to be an odor. He's been dead for four days. I love the way the King James says this. Lord, he stinketh. 
wisely recognizes he's been dead four days he's been in the tomb for four days it's not going to be pretty when we open the stone but then Jesus prays and he speaks and what does Jesus say he calls Lazarus by his name he says Lazarus come out and the man who had died if you read through this passage you see the way that that John is emphasizing the fact that Lazarus was dead he says the sisters of the dead man the man who had died the one who was dead John is emphasizing us wants us to see this man was dead he was really dead he hadn't fainted he wasn't resting in there he wasn't in there playing tiddlywinks Jesus didn't arrange this and create some sort of a scheme or whatever else this is a man who was dead his sisters assumed he stunk he'd been dead for four days and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And what does Lazarus do? He walks out, covered in the signs of death. If we'd seen him walk out, we would have thought he looked like a mummy with all the, the things falling off of him and the, the cloth over his face. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Arguably, this is the greatest of Jesus' signs in John. And it's proof, it's proof, it's proof that Jesus is who he says he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus then is showing, he's demonstrating his lordship even over the grave. You see, we in our modern society assume that people in those days believed that this kind of thing was happening all the time. It's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. It's assumed that it's an assumption that because we're further down the line in history, we're smarter. What a ridiculous thought. People in these days knew what death was, and they knew that people didn't just pop out of graves all the time. In fact, nobody here is saying things like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I know that you can raise him from the dead. People are saying things like, I wish you'd been here. I think you could have healed his sickness that killed him. But in all these people's minds, death is final. Martha at least has enough faith to say, well, I know in this, I believe in this sort of vague future resurrection that's going to happen one day. But what does that do for me right now? And what does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, demonstrating, showing, pointing forward to the reality that one day Jesus will call every person person out of the tomb one day we will all be resurrected he has beaten death he has authority over death and death does not have the final say jesus is showing by raising lazarus up from the dead death will die nothing feels more final than a grave than a burial and yet we recognize that God's saints don't stay there forever. That rather than being a final place where bones rest, that the grave is a whole lot more like fertile soil with hands carefully prepared and planted a seed that will one day burst forth in glorious life. Death will die. We don't stay there Forever. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that brings us to our final point this morning. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. John gives us some insight 
here. He begins to give us a little history of some things that happened in a, in a back room. I guess it's the smoke-filled room, you know, of politics here. And the more clear that Jesus' divinity becomes, the greater works he does, we begin to see that the angrier the religious leaders and the Pharisees become. It's one of the great ironies of John, and John's loaded with irony. John shows the way that the better the news gets for us, the worse, for some reason, the news gets for the Pharisees. You know, they're trying to figure out if this man's really from God or not. And every time they get more proof that he's really from God, they get madder about it. You know what that tells us? They don't really care if he's from God or not. You know what they're really worried about? Keeping control. They like the situation they're in. They like where they are. You see, they're afraid they're going to lose their little kingdom that they have to the Rome because Jesus is gaining so much traction. You see, they're, they're so spiritually blind that the better things get, the worse things get to them. And so that year's high priest, Caiaphas, chimes in and accidentally, unbeknownst to him, he prophesies. He's saying something that's pretty bad, but in reality, he's saying something that's really good. Verses 49-53. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, verse 50, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, John tells us, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. In other words, the Raising of Lazarus from the dead was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, for the religious establishment, for the religious leaders, for the Pharisees. And they decide then to have Jesus killed. We'll learn in chapter 12 that they wanted to kill Lazarus as well. Not only do they want to kill Jesus, they want to do away with the evidence. As we continue to march through John, I want you to understand the important place that John 11 plays as you read through John, as you study John in the future, as we continue in this sermon series, John 11 is the transition in this gospel from what we might consider sort of the narratives about Jesus' life and ministry. And here in verse 11, this is the hinge point where John begins to give us what we might call the passion narrative, the story of the death of Jesus Christ. This is the tipping point where John begins to discuss the death of Jesus. Almost all the gospels have a similar place where they transition into the narrative about the death of Jesus. It happens in Mark chapter 9, for example, when the Bible says from that point on, he set a face like flint toward Jerusalem where he would die. The same thing's happening here in John chapter 11. We've seen mounting opposition and mounting anger and mounting rage from these religious leaders. And now, finally, this is the thing that they have found that has pushed them over the edge. We're frustrated by it because we want them to see in Jesus what we see in Jesus. And yet, I want you to see today the beauty of what's happening here. The beauty of what's happening here. Think about how encouraged you are by thinking about how Jesus handles death. That great enemy of ours, the greatest enemy of all. Think about how encouraged you are when Jesus is showing his love and his compassion, his willingness to identify with our suffering. His ability to raise the dead. And isn't it ironic 
that as he's doing that, it enrages the Pharisees. And in that very moment, it sets into motion the ultimate proof of his love and his compassion and his willingness to suffer and his ability to raise the dead, his very death and resurrection. Here we see this action of raising Lazarus, this first resurrection in John, pointing us to the second resurrection in John, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see the compassion of Jesus to Lazarus, enraging those who hate God and leading ultimately to the compassion of Jesus for us. We see him identifying with us in our suffering through weeping over his friend's grave and calling him out from his tomb. And it leads us to the place where Jesus most clearly and fully identifies with us in our suffering by suffering on our behalf at Calvary, at Golgotha. Jesus is going to die. The very Son of God is going to the cross to taste death for us. And Caiaphas, in his, in his plotting to try to keep his kingdom, is, is prophesying unwittingly that Jesus will die not only for the nation, but for the people. He's leading, we're leading here. We're seeing a portrait. Brothers and sisters, the final word on death belongs to Jesus Christ because he died and raised from the dead. And any understanding of death for the Christian that does not end with a crucified Savior who was battered and bloodied on our behalf and who burst forth from his own tomb by his own power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the word of the Father. Any understanding of death for the Christian that doesn't end there, that doesn't terminate there, is not a Christian understanding of death. And now, brothers and sisters, can you not echo the poet in this almost silly verse? Silly to the world, but so clear to us. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. And you can add your own line. For I know the resurrection and the life. The one you held in your grip, O death. The morning star snuffed out in the tomb. But I have seen the glorious light bursting forth, blood coursing through his veins, heart beating, lungs breathing, a stone rolled away, a gospel thundered throughout a grave riddled earth that made it all the way to Gadsden, Alabama and to me. And I have now been remade through hope, sharing in his life, standing in his resurrection. And though one day I will step into my own grave, he, O death, has stepped on your neck. And while I live though death haunts me daily i live in hope knowing that now my lord is your lord and your reign has ended one short sleep past we wake eternally and death shall be no more death thou shalt die I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, this morning, if you don't know Him, He offers to you life and life abundantly. If you put your trust and faith and hope in Him today, I believe God will save you by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And second of all, you may be a believer this morning, but you may say, Pastor, I am struggling to trust Jesus today. This altar is open for you to trust God today, to pray, and I would talk with you and pray with you as well. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. And here at First Baptist Church, we're certainly not a perfect church, but we will love you the best we can, and we will preach the gospel to you. I'd love today to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer... I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the fact that though we do live in a world that's riddled with graves, and though we know that each and every one of us, if you tarry, will one day be in a grave ourselves. God, we pray that we will continue to stand, to live, and to exult in the hope of the gospel. And in the life that's provided for us for the one who the grave could not hold. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.